Welcome to the BGFI Gear Lockdown Talks. My name is Misha, and I'm here today with a special guest, which I will introduce in a bit. Um, if you've been following the show for the last episodes that we did and you like everything you saw, please hit the subscribe button. And for this episode, also let us know in the comments below what you think. If you have any questions, please uh, put them in the comments. Pro Jiu-Jitsu events are the place where we can see the creme de la creme of competitors and they offer a platform for the next generation of fighters, upcoming fighters to get exposed to a wider audience. Uh, today, I talk about this with Lee Jones, a successful real estate entrepreneur from Wales, owner of Tatami Fightwear and co-founder of, the, of uh, Polaris, the world's most exciting pro jiu-jitsu event. Lee, welcome. How are you, Misha? Nice to see you. Yeah, same here. Uh, so how are you uh, doing right now during the lockdown? You, uh, I can see you're at home. How are things yeah, going? Yeah, I'm at home. Yeah, yeah. I, do, uh, I continue to do much of my, much of my work at home, which... Uh, uh, which is it, it's office-based work, but you can do it. You have a laptop. Our laptop will travel, so it's easier to set up at home. Right. Um, yeah, it's it, it's fine. You know, everybody's going a little stir crazy, I guess, but we, we're coping. Yeah. We're treading water, keeping our heads above it. Right. Yeah. For uh, we we have this show on YouTube. We also do it on uh, the audio version on Spotify and iTunes. For people that can't see you right now and that maybe don't know you from tournaments or something. Um, could I uh, could I say that you remind people maybe a little bit about uh, uh, Jack Sparrow? Yeah, you can do. You, you can say that. I think yeah. it's a posit- It's I would say it in a positive way. You you don't have the mustache anymore, but uh, no, I don't. Not anymore. My wife said she made me get rid of the mustache. She said I'm looking too much like Johnny. Depp. <laughs> Is it such a thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Depp. I mean, uh, a big uh, lady killer, right? So. Yeah, that you need to tell you guys on Spotify. I'm certainly not the lady killer, okay? Not anymore. Well, I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. So, um, how's it going for Tatami right now? Is there uh, a lot of uh, things going on in terms of uh, the competitors that you guys sponsor, or um, yeah. yeah, how's it going? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a particularly tough time at the moment for for, for the whole industry. Whether you're a gym owner or you own a brand of clothing or or anything that's that's related to any close contact martial arts, it is a very difficult time. So um, we're doing our best to, to to keep our heads above water. You know, we do it. It's it's difficult. We got some staff working from home. Some staff we've had to put on furlough. I don't know if you get that in other countries, but it's where the government pays eighty percent of the. Some of the staff's wages, they just stay at home. They don't work for the company, but don't, yeah. they're part of the company. They come back when everything is all is over and, and, and the virus is gone. But um, it's difficult. We try to re- remote work remotely from home, get Zoom meetings, and, and it's not difficult. It's not easy when we're not in the same office. So, um, yeah, for that end, it's quite... Um, it's it's extra stress on every member of staff, uh, right? And certainly the directors and managers. It is quite difficult. And we're also trying to um, to use this time to 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 revamp things within the company. Maybe to to to, to sell out a lot of our products, our end of line and stuff that we would ordinarily hang on to for another twelve or eighteen months. So maybe we're considering let's replace certain products with, with a fresh new look when we come back from from the COVID right. lockdown or from, in general from the pandemic. So we try to make amends to the website as well to try and adjust certain parts of the website that make it a better shopping experience, both for our B2B customers and our, and our, and our retail customers. 
So we, we try to make adjustments looking for better shipping companies and things we wouldn't ordinarily have time to do. We kind of have a little bit more time in our hands now. We're trying to use it wisely. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, always, always things to improve to uh, and to get better out of this. Um, let's let's go back a little bit uh, to the time where you started the Tommy Fight. Where how did that come about? It's it's obviously a story you probably told many times to different people. But yeah. how did you get involved in the jiu-jitsu scene and how did you start the company? Well, um, I mean. My interest in martial arts was uh, from when I was a young lad. I, I did judo from, uh, from the age of, um, I think it was about eight years old. And I, I, you know, I did it through my, my teenage years. And I stopped for a couple of years. I joined the military. I went to the Royal Air Force. And I did it a little bit while I was in the Air Force. It was just training. It was I, I didn't compete then after the age of about 16. But um, it was just training. I enjoyed the judo yeah. um, and had my children. Um, and I had an accident in work and I had some horrific injuries in work where I, I broke my back in a couple of places and, and some other injuries. Um, but I had children and I wanted them to do martial arts and jiu-jitsu was still relatively new in the UK then. So I said to them, look, they, they'd done karate and I think they got the brown belt with karate and things. They just kind of lost a bit of interest in karate so, you know, to the kids. So you, need to, you need to keep up with a martial art. I said, look, jiu-jitsu BJJ is a... It, it, it's quite a, it's a good thing. It's, it, I wish I'd, I wish it had been around when I was a young lad, and right. I've certainly still been doing it now. So I took him up to a local club, and there wasn't many clubs in Wales uh, in the UK then. So I, in England there were quite a few clubs, but in Wales not so many. So I found a club with just a small number of members, about six or eight members in it. And in one of those, a youngster to me, a youngster in, in that class was a, a young Gareth Demmer, who's uh, of course the other owner of Tatami as well. He's the other director along with myself, a guy was in his early 20s. And, um, you know, we used to travel to Lisbon for the Euros, take our families and go with all the other families in the club, or the few families that were there, mm -hmm. into the club. But, you know, it became, it's a sense of community, as everybody knows in the BJJ world. It is a sense of community. So although I wasn't practicing martial arts, and especially BJJ, because of, uh, obviously, my, my injuries and things, um, I still felt part of the community. And it was great. It was fantastic. And the kids were enjoying it. Um, The kids are now men, by the way, I should tell you that. Uh, yeah. I was at home with me now. He's 25 years old, six foot three. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was it. So we were coming home from one Lisbon trip, the Euros, and we were flying back on, on the aircraft, and Gareth and I were sat next to each other. Uh, and Gareth was expressing an interest. Uh, you know, he said, I'd, I'd love to have a, my own gear company. got some ideas, and, you know, and I, I'd really like to, uh, to set something up. And... Um, I knew he had some skills and some tools for a little bit of design and he could build a basic website and things. But uh, it was the one thing that was failed him and he didn't have any, any money to invest. So I thought, oh, I said, okay, you know, let's, uh, I'm happy to invest some money and let's give it a go because it was something I, I was doing a little bit of property on the side as a, I've always done for, for about the last 25 years. Um, and I wanted something perhaps a little bit more substantial uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll put some money and I'll invest into this. And, uh, We set it up together for Gareth to run ultimately, and it was it was all for me to put the money in, set it up for about the first 12 months, and me to step back, move back into some more, some more property, and then. But um, that never happened. It, it worked that way. It kind <laughs> of it did. It grabbed me, and it, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't leave um, uh, Gareth on his own. It was it was getting too busy. It was a bit of a monster, and it was it was gathering momentum and 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 gaining speed, and it was wow. How how just, big how big did it get compared to maybe what you expected at the time, when you were I in that airplane? And you said, "Ah, oh, yeah, let's let's try it out." Then 
I thought we'd try it out and we'd get, you know, we, we, I'd get a little subsidiary income on the side. I thought maybe to start with it would be great. And it was like that. For the first, I think it was 14 months, there was no income. There was nothing at all. Uh, Gareth was working a part-time job. And so as he could do part-time with Tatami and part-time with another job. Uh, so just as he could have some kind of an income, I think he was earning something crazy like 500 pounds a month. So, you know, you know, in dollars, that's about $700 it or so. And yeah. in euros, maybe about 550, 600 at the most. So just, he did that for about six to eight months, just as he could have some money to run his car and, you know, buy some food and things. And then yeah, yeah. so after about 14 months, we were able to take a small salary. But it was around about that time that things started to explode. When we um, we did a video, we sponsored Fernando Terere. When he came back uh, back into the sport, as uh, most people will be aware, Terere had been out of the sport for some time uh, with illness. And when he came back into it, we sponsored him and did a short video on him. And it became a bit of a smaller mini YouTube sensation. And I think the brand name got out there quite quickly. And from that point, I think that was when things started to, to grow very, very quickly. Uh, the first 14 months went as I'd expected. You know, where the, the growth was somewhat, you know, we sat in one gear a week for the first couple of months and then you sat in five gears a week. And, you know, it, yeah. it was kind of how we expected. And then it kind of went quite quickly. Um, sponsored a couple of low-level athletes or mid-level mid-level athletes. And, uh, uh, yeah, and that was it. It was uh, Academy started coming to us with their product. I mean, it, 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 it just went very quickly then. So uh, Yeah, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How, how, you you talked about uh, those early days that jujitsu wasn't so developed yet in Wales, for example, or at least not to the extent that there were a lot of schools yet. Uh, what what's the biggest difference you see in jujitsu today compared to then? The sort of we're talking about two thousand seven or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, back then, especially in Wales and even a lot in England, again, there were. Small, I'd say, I'd say clubs or, or academies, but they were maybe small church halls with six, eight guys in it. Some were bigger, 20 guys, but perhaps they were run by a blue belt or maybe a purple belt because there was no, there were no browns and blacks. Um, there were a couple and a few of them. And if you were lucky enough to be in one of those academies to, to, to have some coaching by some of the early black belts, uh, or perhaps under their brown belts, then you, you were a very lucky person indeed. But especially down here in South Wales, it was hard to get anybody to to come down on a regular basis um, to take some classes. So it, it was a slow progression down here. But of course, uh, things have changed down here now. In, in the last 10 years, things have grown quite rapidly. And there are so many black belts and we have a number of UFC fighters and you know, things have progressed so much as some full-time gyms here, it's become um, some some very good. It's become a, a decent area to train in. Uh, it, still, it's, if you go to London and, and there's a whole glut of gyms that you can you can choose with a whole host of fantastic guys to train with. Um, of course, because we're so limited in South Wales, but some people have invested money into the facilities and have made it great places to train. I mean, if you live in in the Gwent Valleys, and uh, I don't expect you, your viewers to know where that is, but it's it's an old coal mine in valleys. And um, when the coal mines closed, there's not an awful lot of work for them there. There wasn't a lot of recreation for them to do. There was nothing to do. So when you've got guys up there who set up full-time academies, full two-story academies and the like, um, that's really, really, really great for, for, for the town, for the area, because yeah. these valleys don't have an awful lot else to do. And the council don't have a great deal of money to invest in sports and recreation for the, for the local people. So yeah. it, it's a very good... Uh, 
it, it's, somebody's taking the initiative. A lot of guys taking the initiative to set up these academies. And, uh, and good on them, They're providing good service for the people. Yeah, yeah. And a good opportunity for them as well then. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, they, and, they, and they're churning out UFC fighters, you know what I mean? Uh, right. Uh, show martial arts in Abitaleri. It's got two UFC fighters in a village that was a coal mining village. You'd never expect that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... it's, it's um, what, yeah. What, what are, not just Welsh competitors, but what are some of the big names in terms of competitors that Tatami has worked with over the years? Um, as I said, the very first name we sponsored was a guy who's coming back. I was, uh, he wasn't the first sponsor. He was the first sort of big name known him was Fernando Terrade. Um, yeah. so that, that was, a that was, um, a name that got, got our name put onto the map. Uh, so, um, after that, uh, I, I guess a guy who's been with us for a very long time and, and you have to say being a two times ADCC champion is uh, JT Torres. You know, we, 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 we've been working together for many, many years. I can't remember, yeah. maybe about six or seven years with JT. Um, you know, when he was young and he, he first went uh, to Atos, trade with uh, Andre Galvao, um, we managed to get a hold of his sponsorship and, um, and we've worked together with him for quite some time. And, you know, it's been fantastic. He's, he's currently a two times ADCC champion. It couldn't get any better for us to have a name like that. Um, or could it? I don't know. Then you've got um, you've got um, currently uh, currently about uh, number one contender on uh, July the 11th about a fight for a UFC title um, is Gilbert Burns. Gilbert's been with us for quite some time, and we've managed to get him to to, to compete on Polaris for us as well. Yeah, he's brought his wife and his children over, and they're a lovely family, and um, he's doing superb in the UFC. So July the 11th, Gilbert uh, flying the flag for Tatami. Um, yeah, we got we, we we got Josh Hinger on board, who's uh, had a rip roar in ADC, so it's ADCC, and uh, you know he, he he caught our eyes, and Gareth was quite taken in by by Josh. So you know we've been working with Josh this year as well, um, and then there's a lot of British guys that are that are very high level, and very 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 good. Um, Ross Nichols, who also fought and did very well, took JT all the way in ADCC last year. Um, uh, Ross Nichols has got to be one of the best in Europe. Um, right. Yeah, you know there are other guys, and I apologise, guys, if I've if I've missed any of you. Yeah. You know, from an MMA perspective, we we do have the Welsh lads. We got uh, Jack Shaw, who's up, uh, uh, who's a Swansea lad from Bordeaux, um, and we've also got uh, sorry, um, Jack Shaw's from Abertilly from Shaw Matt and Brett Johns from Bordeaux. Sorry, but uh, both UFC guys. So you know we got those guys from from an MMA perspective. So yeah, yeah. but um. A broad spectrum. There are hundreds of Tatami sponsors, kit sponsors, and the like. So, right. I'm apologies. I apologize. I can't mention yeah. everything. We, we can do a separate episode to uh, go through all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, what I noticed, you know, there's a lot of sponsored athletes that seem to be a bit brand hopping and they change pretty quickly onto the next opportunity or some other hip brand that they can get connected with. Uh, but Tatami seems to be one of the brands that have been able to really get some loyal uh, sponsored athletes connected to them that stay for a longer period of, period of time. Why do you think this? Uh, you've been able to do this? Or how? Well, I, I don't really know. I mean, we try to work with the guys as best as we can because um, you know we, we, we want longevity. We want guys to stay with us and we want them to be associated with the brand and we want our brand to be associated with them. I think that works long term. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the kinds of uh, athletes and I, uh, you know, Roger Federer, uh, when you think of Roger Federer, you, th you think of, well, he has his own brand, but then he's got, you know, he's, he's 
tied in well not so much anymore but he was his unique clothes if I don't remember if I remember at the moment but he was Nike and you know and, and um or Gillette the sponsor for the, for the Shabers and, and the like you know mm-hmm. you associate these athletes with these brands and the brands with the athletes and I think it's good for a brand it's good for an athlete um unfortunately I think um a, a lot of athletes um believe that there's a lot more money in jiu-jitsu or in the companies than there really is it's it's um it's hard to convince otherwise that you know this we, we push ourselves to the limit uh so i think sometimes maybe and i i i don't know i i can't speak for every athlete but maybe an athlete is looking to, to jump to another brand because they think there's a better deal for them because it, it's at the end of the day it's they live in it's financial and they have to make as much money as they can for the brand so we're trying to hold on to guys not everybody's. There's very few athletes are paid actual cash. Most most guys, it's through product, through um, clothing sponsorship, or even you give them a bunch of product, uh, custom product that they can sell to their students in their academy, and they can make some money that way. So it's kind of all done like that. There's very few, I think, in the, in the industry. You've got to be at the very, very top of your game before you actually get a company to part with cash. But you've just got to be you've got to be super nice, and you've got to work together, and you, you know. If you're a nice athlete and you're a nice company, well, it's a good marriage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That make, makes total sense. So, yeah. I, I don't know what I don't know what the secret formula is. I really don't. We just we do what we do. And it it kind of works. So yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Cheers. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's let's talk about Polaris. Um, what's the situation right now like? Like related to the lockdown and. Uh, for example, the July event, Polaris 13, is it still going to be continuing as scheduled or are you guys not sure yet? Yeah, well, we're, um, we, we, we've been working closely with the UK BGJA, um to try and get events to happen. You know, we, we want athletes to be able to compete so they can got a chance to earn some money. We want to put a show on. And I know UFC Fight Pass are, are keen for us to provide content for them as long as we can do it legally and safely. That's our intention. So um, we've had uh, the word, having spoken to the UK BJJ, we've had the word that there is a way we can put a behind closed doors event on for Polaris. And it will only be UK fighters simply because, well, I mean, we, we, we believe at the moment we think it might only be UK fighters because of um, quarantine. Uh, hotels, we can't get hotels. We can fly guys in. They'd have to fly home the same day. Well, it's not. It's not. That might be a bit difficult to do that, and they might be a little bit tired. So hotels and, and hygiene and, and, and everything else. So we're going to try and make it so that we can get UK athletes to an event, compete, and then they can get home in the same day. It's going to be you know, a long old day for them, but we're just trying to get some live sports, some live jujitsu, and some competitive jujitsu back up for people to, for a small number of guys to compete, and for everybody else to watch. Right. Yeah, yeah, and because you can't you can't have a crowd there uh, yeah, as you did in no, 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 no. no. That's uh, a shame. It's going to be that. That that's going to be. Um, I mean, of course, we lose revenue from that, so we try to make it as affordable as we can to allow uh, for, for the loss of what we call bums on seats. We 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 have to make allowances for that, uh, yeah. and we have to make sure that we don't. You know, we we, we we're at break even point for the event um, because. It's not uh, the, the loss of revenue from uh, admission fees alone is, is going to be quite right. trying for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine that's a crazy situation uh, from a business point of view. Um, if you just, 
if you would look at the, a normal situation, what are the biggest challenges in um, running a pro jiu-jitsu event? Um, matchmaking is. I mean, I, I don't get a great. I don't get involved a great deal in matchmaking. Um, uh, but I know matchmaking is is quite a a strain trying to make the best fight that you can make and 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 to think it's going to be as exciting and as well received by the public you can't please all the people all the time not even some of the time to be honest with you but you know try to make a good event that's going to be exciting is quite difficult i mean logistics we seem to have it quite well and we've got um uh, our, our full-time employee Sophie uh, was uh, she's our events organizer. Coordinator. She does an amazing job yeah. of coordinating everything, and, and everything moves quite slick. Um, we use the same companies for the for the filming, the lighting, and things, and, and, and we are, everybody works together. So logistically, uh, and the running of the show seems to be uh, quite good. I think it's dealing with so many fighters, um, uh, trying to coordinate and organize them, getting into weigh-ins and, and, and getting them into the country, and you know, and the fighters have different personalities as well. So you, you kind of you know you have to you have to behave differently with them and treat them a little bit differently because not not everybody's the same. They all got quirks and eccentricities. They like to 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 do certain things certain ways. So and we have to make sure that we make them as comfortable as we can uh, when they're on the event. So I mean, I guess matchmaking. And, and handling fighter logistics because, of course, they come in from over the world. They come in from Japan, right. Australia, America, definitely, and uh, Europe. So, you know, it's trying to get everything. I think that's, I suppose, the people aspect is the hardest thing. The, the actual running of the show, the, yeah. the the engineering of the show is probably the easiest part. And did you ever come across uh, some well-known fighters that that had very kind of diva-like uh, requirements, like I want my dressing room to look like this. And what is this? What are you trying to do? You trying to trip me up? You trying to tie a toshi me into the? Well, you don't need here? to. No. You don't need to call they're any all names. Wonderful people, don't <laughs> they're all wonderful people. Stop that now. No, there's not. I've, we've never come across any divas. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got. You know, there's there's plenty of guys, plenty of competitors and fighters who who, who have. You know, uh, eccentricities and unlike things in, in certain ways, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You you should try living with me. You know, I got my little quirks, and uh, you know, I mean, they're not good. But these guys, there's, there's never, I don't think there's ever been one diva. I no, think, no. I think perhaps they get rooted out before if they, before they get to the Polaris event. We we take the diva out of them, and either they don't come on the event, or or they uh, they diva us by the time they get to us. But yeah, um, no, yeah. most of the guys are sweet hearts. I'll be quite honest with you. They're all. You know, they're all pretty good. They're there to do a job and they're there to to entertain the crowd. But, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. We like to look after them as best we can. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you can see that from the event also, that uh, everything looks good. Everybody is happy. Um, maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but uh, I was wondering why did you guys switch from Flow Grappling to UFC Fight Pass at the time? Is the, There's not much to say, really. Um uh, we switched to Flow Grappling. The, the numbers we lost a lot of money when we went with Flow Grappling, uh, and it was the, the biggest loss we'd had to, uh, today, even to date now. Um, and we just we couldn't afford to lose any further money with it. So um, we we were cons- we, we we didn't jump to USC Fight Pass. It wasn't that we, we did Flow. We go to USC Fight Pass. That didn't happen. We were doing one more event because we'd lost so much money. So look, let's do one more event and let's see um, if we can make it work. And we do it ourselves and we'll, we'll put it out live ourselves. We'll do, um, 
we stream it, you know, through a, our own platform, a Facebook Live platform, and you know, we just take our own pay-per-views and we just do it that way. And, and that was the plan, just to see if we could recoup some of the money that we'd lost on the, on the previous event. And it was no, you know, there was no spat or falling out. We, we think Flo were doing a fantastic job yeah. in uh, in other areas. They really are doing it. But we were their first live show, you see, and, uh, you know, yeah, um, and it scared us to have lost so much money. And but out of the blue, UFC Fight Pass came in, and they came in with a very solid offer. And we said, well, actually, we can, you know, even if we just break even on this, we can, we can still continue with it. So, and that was it, I guess. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was all for the survival of Polaris. I guess if we didn't go to the UFC Fight Pass, we probably wouldn't have survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a necessary step for the continuation of the of the event. Yeah. Um the um the Polaris after parties are kind of uh, well known, infamous, maybe. They used to be. They used to be. I'm yeah. too old for that now, I'm too old. <laughs> is is there one uh, story that you would like to uh, share, something funny that ever happened? Or is that uh, a no a no, no comment I, area? I mean, there have been some funny stories and I I probably shouldn't share them maybe for, for <laughs> the general public. There's been quite a few. Yeah. But I mean <clears throat> Aside from that, I mean, uh, I don't know. It was, um, it was, it was, it was great fun to see some high level, high level athletes um, dancing in the hotel last November uh, <laughs> and upsetting some of the locals. But I'm not mentioning no names. And then we we, we took them part into Carroll City in Wales. So you know that was kind of fun. But uh, yeah, I'm not mentioning any names there. But it was you know, those kinds of things. Just just uh, high spirits and, and and jovial spirits, shall we say? But that's. Uh, There's, there's, there's nothing really to, no tales to tell really. Most of the guys, they fight, they compete, they're athletes, they, they go to sleep, they, you know, they, they maybe have a, a, a coffee or something and, and go to bed then by midnight. So uh, there's not right, many right. guys to a party. And I, I, I tried to get some guys to come party, but, but that, was, that was the old me, that was the younger me. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's maybe even harder to uh, get them to, uh, to party at all than, uh, than the other way around. Um, if some people are looking, uh, competitors are looking, uh, upcoming competitors, athletes that would kind of dream of being on Polaris one day, obviously you just need to get really good and win competitions to to catch your eye. But what would you advise people to, uh, because obviously there may be people that are, that are just as good, but that didn't get on Polaris. What are things that you are looking for in an athlete to get them there? Well, I'll be quite honest with you. <clears throat> um, uh, the, the other guys, um, quite largely Matt and Gareth, um, they know athletes that I've never heard of, to be honest with you. I mean, they, and I'm saying, well, I've never, I've never looked at this guy. I've never seen this guy. Um, and I don't know where they, how do they find these guys? And again, I don't, I'm not seeing them competing at IBGF. I don't see them. How do they know where these guys are and how good that they are? I really don't, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm learning, I'm learning. Um, we get people all the time, contact email into the Polaris email address or contact into the social media. Say, oh, I want to be on Polaris for me on Polaris. And, you know, we take everyone into account and we look at them and, 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 and perhaps do a bit of research on them if, we, if we're not so sure about their, uh, their credibility. Um, but like, as you say, you've got, you just got to keep entering and winning and, um, and ex being excited, winning excitedly because Polaris is sub <coughs> submission only. So, you, you know, we, we want to see exciting fighters. I mean, um, One of the guys I brought into Polaris was, and everybody knows him now, but uh, in the early days was Tommy Langaka. He was a guy 
that um, I, I found him when I was in Sweden with the Swedish Open and he brought to my attention in Sweden. So I, we got a sponsorship deal with Tommy, which is one of the guys I should have mentioned earlier. My apologies, Tommy. So we got um, a sponsorship deal going with Tommy. And of course, Tommy was still a relatively unknown man. And then all of a sudden he comes to the Euros the following January. He submits e-birth and then, you know, he's, he's the sensation. And, and of course... Believe it or not, I had to try and nag the guys, the rest of the, the directors of Polaris, to get him onto the onto Polaris because he only fights in the key. Yeah, uh, and we got him on the undercard. You know, we got him on the undercard, and I thought, well, that's something. That's a step. I said, right, Tommy, get in and show him what you can do. Show him what you can do. And of course, the rest is history because he is like, uh, I don't know what he, I don't know what he's like. He's like superhuman in the key, and he makes it so exciting. You know, everybody says no is more exciting for these submission only events, but uh, when it comes to Tommy Langaker. Uh, I beg to differ. He's just as exciting as anybody in, in Nogi. So, I mean, if you can be as exciting as that, whether it's in the Gi or the Nogi, you know, and, and, and you're a good level and you've got some good scalps, um, you know, you, you can get in touch. I mean, certainly bear you in mind or you will be found because I know that Matthew and, and Gareth and Ben, to a degree, are, uh, they got their eyes open. They've got their eyes open wide. Right. Yeah. They, they'll probably find you if you're good enough. Good enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, a bit of a Shark Tank section with some brief questions. You can have a yes or no, or some, just the first thing that pops into your mind. Okay. Um, ADCC or IBGF? For excitement, ADCC. Yeah. Real estate or gee business? <laughs> Uh, If you had to drop packing, either one of them. Packing real estate. Yeah. Uh, money is... Sorry, what's that one? Money is... You can... Money is... Essential. Right. Not the root of all evil. I did consider that one, but it was cliche. <laughs> uh, you need money to live. Yeah, It's definitely. Essential. Yeah. I'm not, sure. saying, I'm not saying lots of it. But some money is essential. Like say, I told you, Gareth lived off about 600 euros a month for, for about eight or nine months. Yeah. It was essentially had that to live. So that's, that's money's essential. Definitely. Um, favorite BGA competitor? In the Gi, Tommy Langeke. Um No Gi, I kind of like Gary Tonin. Yeah. Exciting. Favorite Gi? So model, key model. Ooh, I, I, I mean, um, I, I'm, don't need to say that it's a tatami key, but which model will you? No, um, you know my favorite key. I'm gonna go back to my old 1970s Rakanor judo key. Right. So double weave. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't think it was. It was quite flexible and light, but it was okay. uh, it was a hand me down for my brother, and it was made by a brand called Ruckin on. They make table tennis balls and and some oh, other of course, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. love that key. Yeah. Uh, favorite whiskey? I don't have a favorite, um, but I I I like a Macallan. I like a Macallan. Uh, best restaurant in Wales. If you have to pick one, it's my local. It's a pub and an old school restaurant. It's called the Brit. The Brit, uh, and it's just a few miles from my house. And they got real ale, real craft beers, 
and they got the most fantastic fillet steak. And uh, and tonight they for because the, they do takeaways tonight they do when they homemade pizzas from there. So because I'm a good customer, I'm getting two pizzas and some pasta for free from uh, from the owner. Bring awesome. My family tonight, so it's the Brit without a shadow of a doubt. I'm I'm getting hungry right now. I might have lunch and early. I take I take I don't know if I've ever taken you there when you visit us, Misha. But I generally take anybody who comes to visit us in, in, in Wales. Yeah, I'll take them up there for some beers and, and some food as well because it's a, it's a re, it's a pub. It's an old. I think old we've been there. Pub. It's next to kind of a main road. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been there. With, yeah, with Ying. Yeah, um, Swansea girls. Stay away. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> the number one thing in your bucket list that you haven't done yet. Retired. Retire. Retired. I think that's my bucket list in one word. Retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never fully retire. I'll never. I've tried it. I've tried it with Tatami. I have the last couple of years since we've had some good operations manager. I try to step away from it. It's Gareth's running the company pretty much. I'm just sort of dipping in and out, if you know. Mm-hmm. So he, he's doing much of the work and, and our, our manager's down there as well. So I, um, I'm trying to do a bit of semi-retirement, but since lockdown, it's kind of sucked me back in for it. So I'm... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. It's we'll a see. I'll never fully retire, but... Yeah, just uh, only do the, the nicer parts, I guess, or the the most essential things that really... Uh, yeah. Um, what advice would you give to 18-year-old Lee? Ah. He still has all that ahead of him. Um, the 18-year-old Lee uh, probably would have said, "I was, I was put off, put off doing what I really wanted to do in life, which was uh, entertaining, performance, and and, and I like. Uh, I play the drums now, and you know, it's only as a hobby. It was something I could have considered as a, as a as a career. So the 18-year-old Lee, I would have said, don't be put off." Don't be put off by your, your parents or anybody else with what you really wanted to do. Because I've, even though I've done well with my life, it's not what I really wanted to do. Yeah. So follow what you really wanted to do. Right. Follow your heart. Um, staying with that 18-year-old Lee, who would he really like to fight? If You, you already said if, if I had jiu-jitsu in those days, uh, I would probably still be practicing. If if you are judo or boxing, but if, if you could... Uh, Step on the mat or into the ring with somebody, somebody that people know now. Who would it be? Famous fighter? Now, somebody who's competing now. Who would I would I match up well with now? Um, I mean, if I was still training, I wouldn't be the size I am, so I'd be in a lighter weight category. It would probably be somewhere around about uh, the two or five. So I don't know. Maybe um, as a name, I don't know. You're asking me something. That's a real way out there question. Um, I don't know. I, if I was if I was competing I, I, at the time, I would, I'd like to fight everybody. I'd like, I like. You know, I, I would be one of these guys. Who, I would like to say, "Come on, let's have a go. Let's test yourself against everybody. Who's there? Who's at the top?" You know. Right. So that would be a bit like going back. Uh, um, you pretty much already answered this, but uh, Lee in 2030. 2030. Yeah, ten uh, years from now. I don't know. Retired? I don't know. Uh, 10 years, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I'm fully retired by then. I'll, I'll be 62 by then, so, you know, I'm, yeah. um, I'll be slowing right down. Um, especially with, you know, with, with the injuries I had when I was in my 30s and my, my fractures in the, the spine. So, yeah, I think I'd be retired. I'd like to, you know, maybe I'd like to, I'd like to travel. Um, 
I think I might still be involved with the sport somewhat and I'd still get to go to events and still see the people that I've known for 20 or 30 years, you know, and, uh, yeah. I mean, pop into Lisbon or, or go to Cali for the world. I'd certainly go to Vegas for the Masters. I enjoy that. That's a right. good trip. That is. So, so yeah, maybe I'd do that, but, uh, you know, spend, uh, well, I spend more time with my wife and yeah, you know, maybe have a little holiday home somewhere and, Nice. That's the plan. That would be nice. Sounds good. And where do you see Tatami 10 years from now, the company? I think going from strength to strength, because I think we're going to come out of this lockdown as good as any other company in the industry. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the potential is to get a, a bigger footprint in the United States. We, we do okay in the States, but we'd like to get a bigger footprint in the United States, continue with our success in the UK and Europe. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think we'll be one of the guys that come out of it okay. And just, um, I think in 10 years' time, yeah, we'll be, we'll be in a healthy position, definitely. I think so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hope so also. Um, I have one last question. We, um, uh, we're going to be interviewing, uh, Beatrice Mesquita in the next interview. She's, uh, a, f a really good competitor from Brazil who has done, uh, I don't know the, the exact number, but she has the record of the most black belt world champion medals, uh, golden medals. And, um, well, if you check out her accomplishment, it's a really long list. I was wondering if you have a specific question for her that we can ask her. Um, uh, ooh, that's a specific question. Let me have a think of that one now. Um, how does she, how does she feel? As you, you've just mentioned, she's got um, uh, the most run of uh, successful black belt medals uh, in the world. How does she cope with the pressure of having to, having to defend these medals year in, year out? And the success that she's had, does she feel a tremendous amount of pressure or does she go into every event happy to be there and just happy to see what unfolds? Yeah, yeah. That's a very good question. Cool. Yeah. Th thank you very much. It will add value to the to the next interview. Um, we uh, it's supposed to be sort of a chain question, so we were going to interview uh, Adam Borzinski yesterday, and he was supposed to have a question for you, but he had to. Uh, I don't know. He, he couldn't make the interview. Had to uh, teach, so uh, I don't have a question for you from him, unfortunately. But we'll we'll try to get that out of him still uh, uh, for you. Um, well, Lee, thank you so much for, for your time and also for sharing uh, all this with us and uh, your background, um, some tips and tricks for competitors that want to get sponsored and, uh, and and the background of Polaris. And uh, yeah, we hope to see you and Tatami coming out of the, the lockdown and the, the crisis very soon. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Misha. Really appreciate it. And uh, it'd be great to have you back in Wales another time, and we can uh, we can get a beer together and uh, kick back. Yeah, Thanks definitely. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to that. Have a great day.